Award season is finally here. Writer Gregory Elwood gets us up to speed on where we are in the Oscar race. And rising star from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and the new season of Vikings, Swedish actress Josephine Asplund. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Welcome back, everyone, to Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. So, award season is upon us, and from what I've seen so far, there are so many really, really good movies this year, many of which we're going to dive into on upcoming shows, and we'll get up to date on the Oscar race that's really heating up now. But besides talking movies today, we're going to meet a real rising star, a young Swedish actress named Josephine Asplund. She played opposite Daniel Craig as his daughter in Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and has now been cast on the new season of Vikings as Astrid, who is Lagertha, played by Catherine Winnick's new love. You'll meet Josephine real soon, who talks about her dreams of becoming both a social worker and a Hollywood star. But first... The Oscar race is really heating up. The magical musical La La Land seems to be in the lead. Will Casey Affleck take Best Actor for his emotional turn in Manchester by the Sea? Which other award shows impact the movie's Oscar chances? And where are we in the race right now? To guide us through, we have Gregory Elwood. He co-founded HitFix. He's written for Variety and the LA Times, among others. He covers the awards season on his site, Awards Campaign, which is now also on theplaylist.net. This year, the announcement of who would host the Oscars came really late, so I started by asking Gregory Elwood about Jimmy Kimmel and how his name came up to host the Oscars. I don't think he's the first person they went to. I had spoken to Jennifer Todd, who is producing the show this year with Michael DeLuca. Uh, Jennifer Todd is also Ben Affleck's producing partner, and she produced uh, Live by Night, which will be coming out here in the States at the, you know, a limited release in Christmas and then coming out in January. And she was very candid and she was saying, you know, they'd made a couple calls and, and, and it sounded like they'd been turned down by a bunch of people. But I feel like Every Oscar host that comes in always wants to ask the same people. They always say no, um, and those people tend to be. Uh, oh, I'm trying to like think of who they usually go back to. She probably they. And they I have no doubt they went back to Ellen because Ellen is, is the most highly highly rated uh, program uh, in the past five or six years. They go to like Justin Timberlake, who continually has said no, um, and, and I'm sure Jimmy was in the top ten. Uh, he may have even been in the top five, but he was there because ABC wanted him there. Right. But he was also, no doubt, um, asked to do it because he is very friendly, quote unquote, no doubt, slash friends uh, with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. And that's the connection to Jennifer Todd. I see. And, uh, so, it, so it's a small little world. And, and I think they went with someone that they they felt comfortable with and knew. And, and, and not to ramble, but the only other thing I would I would say is – by going with someone like Kimmel, they and, and they've announced this very late. This is a really late announcement for an Oscar host. Yeah, it took a long time for them to get someone. <laughs> yeah, and, and and also Michael and Jennifer, it was very late for them to get um, um, announced as producers uh, compared to the last you know ten or fifteen years. They only came on last month, and most of the time, Oscar producers have been announced last summer, or they were sorry, they would have been announced in the summer or at least by September. Right. So they're behind, the, they're behind the eight ball already. So the idea that they went with someone very safe 
like Jimmy Kimmel makes a lot of sense. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see then in February. But before we get into some more detail on your thoughts on nominees and such in general, are you excited about this award season film wise? Um, that's an interesting question. I'm, I'm excited from the sense that I think there's some great movies that are going to get nominated. I don't think that there are any God awful movies that shouldn't be in there that are, that are probably going to get nominated. There's one Hacksaw Ridge that has a, uh, that has a chance to get a nod for best picture, but I don't think it will. Is that the Mel Gibson? That's the Mel Gibson one. It's not, it's not like the worst movie ever, but it's sort of, it's not, it's not good. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't, we could spend hours talking about what I have problems with Axel Rich. But in general, I feel like every movie that is nominated will even make the most cinephile, you know, stuck up, you know, film forum, you know, I only go see, you know, European films, you know, person sort of go like, oh, those are good movies. And I think that's, I think that's what the Academy needs. So I'm excited from that perspective. But there will be no race. Like La La Land is winning. Oh yeah, everything. No, not everything. But it's going to win Best Picture. So in general, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing how some of the other. Ca- I'm I'm actually very curious to see how a lot of the what we call the below the line categories, you know, sort of come through. And and there's a lot of competitive races uh, in Best Actress. And by the way, Best Original Song like is going to be crazy competitive. Um, I'm really curious about that, those sort of things. We'll get back to the women, but in terms of the La La Land, it seems like it's such a happy and and sort of colorful and and fun. Is that something, do you see that sort of the sign of the times after this election that that people need that type of movie this year? (laughs) Or am I stretching it? No, I mean, I think it it certainly is plausible. I, I think, Listen, La La Land, even if Hillary Clinton had won and people had been in a much happier space, certainly here in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and in California. Um, it still would be La La Land. It, it still would win. Like, it, it's just the films this year um, are not – There's. It, it was always a so- – it's what we would call a soft front runner, mm-hmm. meaning it has everything that the Academy loves. It's going to be critically acclaimed. Um, it's a film that they can sort of um, – that they can get around, that they can, they can sort of to con- come to consensus on. And all the other major contenders are not really that. Let me just say, if any of the listeners, this is um, Damien Chazelle who did Whiplash. This is a musical um, that he's done with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling about Los Angeles, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it premiered at the Venice Film Festival. It played at Telluride. Uh, it played at Toronto. Um, and it played at the New York Film Festival. And it recently won uh, Best Film of the Year from the New York Film Critics Circle, which was sort of a surprise. So that was like, when it won that, it basically, that was like the nail in the coffin. It's pretty strange that we keep running into each other. Maybe it means something. I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think so. You could just write your own roles, you know, write something that's as interesting as you are. What are you going to do? I have my own club. Is that going to happen every time? I think so. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? You're holding on to the past, but jazz is about the future. Maybe I'm not good enough. Yes, you are. Maybe I'm not. It's like a pipe dream. This is the dream. It's conflict and it's compromise. It's very, very exciting. They, they, they will have everything. They're going to have great box office. They're going to have... Um, universal acclaim from critics, and they have a major critics group. There really is no reason for an Academy member not to vote for it. And 
and and that is is how they sort of get consensus and how it happens. And you can go through all the other major contenders, and there's like one or two reasons why they might not want to vote for them. Can I ask you about that? You mentioned the Critics Award. This is the time of year where all these awards are coming up, the Gotham Awards and different Critic Awards. Which of these has a real bearing on the Oscar nominations? Well, they're all used as promotional devices for uh, the studio's campaigning and and their for-your consideration advertising. So they mean something and then they don't really mean something. The members of the Academy will tell you whether they're, they've been in it for a year, whether they've been in it for 15 years or 20 years, they use things like this podcast or people talking about awards to not really decide what they're going to do, but whether they're going to watch something. Mm-hmm. It, it, it gives them a heads up to be like, oh, I should watch Paul Verhoeven's movie L, even though I hadn't really heard about it when it was at Cannes, but maybe I should watch it now because everyone's talking about Isabelle Hubert. Right. So- because what, what happens is, and this year is more interesting than, than usual, as Academy members, they see a lot of movies during the year. But they're also busy people, like no doubt everyone else listening to this podcast. And unless they're a film student or they're just insanely passionate about film, they probably only go to the movies maybe two or three months, two or, two or three times a month. Or they go to a fancy screening room friends thing you know, and watch a movie two or three times a month. So what happens is they get their pile of screeners – and over the holidays or in December, they whittle it down. And what these critics awards do is it tells them, oh. It gives them a direction. It gives them a direction in saying, um, oh, wait, Moonlight won best film from the L.A. film critics. I guess I should put that to the top of the list. Or Annette Benning got nominated. I love Annette. She got nominated for um, 20th Century Women from the Independent Spirit Awards. And she got nominated here. I guess I should really watch 20th Century Women. That's, that's what the awards do. The awards that in the nominations that show where the Academy might go are the nominations for the Screen Actors Guild, the Producers Guild, and the Directors Guild because though many of those members are also in the Academy. Right. And they sort of line up to what the Academy might do. And we, we will find out next week for the first time when the SAG uh, nominations come out, like how it might be going. That's going to be interesting. So, so those are the ones to look out for. So you were talking about La La Land, but what are the yeah. other movies that will at least be in competition in other roles as well? What are you What are you seeing? Well, there's there's really four or five movies that are going to get multiple nominations uh, in key categories. Obviously, there's Moonlight, which won LA Film Critics uh, just this you know just Sunday, which we were uh, which I mentioned, and that's a film that's going to get uh, Barry Jenkins a nomination for director, a nomination for um, Screenplay, uh, again, Best Picture nomination, and it will most likely get Mahershala Ali, mm-hmm. uh, a Best Supporting Actor nomination. He won both New York Film Critics and LA Film Critics, which is a huge thing for him. And he has, and he has an Independent Spirit Award nod, so he he's in theory potentially the front runner in that category. Best Supporting Actor this year is, it's not weak, it's just as we would say, all over the place. Like there's so many people who could like sort of come in. And that's a movie about a young gay black man, right? It's the story of a, a black, a young gay black man, but it's told in three parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a true ensemble film. Um, and it's, it's show it's told when he's about five years old, when he's about 16 years old, and then probably closer to 30 is like mm-hmm. the final chapter. And Mahershala is in the first chapter and he has a very big role in that part. Uh, other films, obviously, are Manchester by the Sea, uh, which in theory, in, in another year, could potentially be a Best Picture, you know, winner contender. But it's it's very sad and it's very serious, 
Uh, it's Kenneth Lonergan who did Margaret. He will get a a, a screenplay nomination. Uh, and in fact, he might be at this point becoming slowly the front runner uh, for the original uh, screenplay nod. Um, he potentially will get a director nomination. Where are we going to the orphanage? Shut up. Get in the car. Can't obey your orders until you unlock the door. Whatever you decide, he can always stay with us if he wants to come up weekends. Do you want to be his guardian? Well, he doesn't we want to already, be my guardian. For Christ's sake, got a house. Got we're trying to lose some kids, kids at this point. House? Hello. Hello, Lee. I just want to call and say I'm sorry. How's Patrick doing? Well, he doesn't really open up with me. Do you actually have sex with these girls? Strictly basement business. What does that mean? It means I'm working on it. You don't want to be my guardian? That's fine with me. Not that. It's just the logistics. All my friends are here. I got two girlfriends, and I'm in a band. You're a janitor and Quincy. What the hell do you care where you live? I think there's something wrong with me. Do you want me to call your friends? What do you want me to do? I'm not going to bother you. I'm going to just sit here until you calm down. All right, I'm calming it. Would you please just go away? No. Casey Affleck in that film is probably battling Denzel Washington from Fences for the Best Actor Oscar. Um, do you think he has a then, chance to get it, the Oscar? I mean, nomination is clear. Yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting. I think, you know, Fences is such a strange wild card, and I'll get there in a second. But the only other thing I would say about Manchester is Michelle Williams will get nominated um, for Best Supporting Actress. And actually, Lucas Hedge is a, a young actor who... Uh, who's actually been in, in, a, in a bunch of little indies, like um, a bunch of Wes Anderson movies. Uh, and his, his dad is director Peter Hedges. Uh, he will likely get a supporting actor nod, probably. Yeah, I've, I've seen this. He was actually, he really was amazing, this kid. So I'm happy about that. And, and all of them were really. Yeah, and, and when you talk to him, the amazing thing about him is he's nothing like that character. He's, <laughs> he's, he, he's quite, he, he's sort of a polar opposite of him. So anyway, and, and then, so Manchester, and then, Fences comes in as a Viola Davis is absolutely going to get nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And in fact, if she doesn't win, trust me, there will be an uproar in social media like you have not seen. Right. Um, and she should win. Uh, I, I think she's one of the few locks this year, as, along with La La Land for Best Picture. And uh, Denzel will get a Best Actor nod, and, and he, in many ways, should be battling uh, Casey uh for for the win and i can and it it sort of goes into one of these things where casey could win golden globe the golden globe for best actor dramatic uh denzel could win the sag award casey could win the bafta and then the question is going to be who's going to win oscar right right (laughs) And, and and it may come down to the academy deciding does denzel deserve to be in the the three timer club so you have uh, Meryl Streep recently in it. You have Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, you have Jack Nicholson. And I think many of them will say, you know what? It's time for Denzel to be in there. And and he his body of work, it's time. And I think that – and, and, and it, he may also get it just for directing uh, Fences as well. It might like sort of push him over the top. A movie, by the way, a, a, a that's based on an August Wilson Tony Award winning, Pulitzer Prize winning um, play – that took, gosh, I want to say 30 years to get to the screen. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that will help him a lot. But Casey is fantastic. Casey has won almost all, he's won every single Critics Award for it. And that will also make it a very interesting race. 
A man is supposed to take care of his family. You live in my house, fill your belly with my food, put your behind on my bed because you're my son. It's my duty to take care of you. I owe a responsibility to you. I ain't got to like you. Now, I don't give you everything I got to give you. I give you your life. Me and your mama worked that out. Between us and liking your black ass wasn't part of the bargain. Now, don't you go through life worrying about whether somebody like you or not. You best be making sure that they're doing right by you. You understand what I'm saying? Everything that boy do, he do for you. It's not easy for me to admit that I've been standing in the same place for 18 years. Well, I've been standing with you. I gave 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. And then the one, I, I just, I don't mean to ramble, but the one other thing I want to say about Fences is, is Fences is a very interesting film where it, it will, it may get a Best Picture nod, but it may not. Oh, you think it won't? Why? Well, this is something that I would tell people to watch out for. You know, the, the first stream of reviews came out and, and they were, there were some that were very positive and there were some that were mixed. And the one thing I will say is that this is a little inside baseball, uh, which I, which, or sort of like a little insider, <laughs> yeah. uh, is, so if you look at some of those, the, the first reviews, if you go on Metacritic, there's only seven reviews, I think, except for one person, almost all the really positive reviews all those critics were at the same screening I was at. It was this one screening in Los Angeles at a huge venue called the Village Theater, 1,200 seats, huge. And there were about 70 to 80 members of the press. And then the rest of the audience was rabid SAG voters and SAG Guild members who were so excited to see Viola and Denzel Washington in person. And I don't know how to describe SAG members who live in Los Angeles to people who don't work in the industry. It's, it's hard to explain. It's sort of like um, if you've ever seen – it's like almost like a rock concert. Like they get very excited and they, they are overly enthusiastic because they, they treat their, their peers who have made it to, to you know, uh, another level um, like sort of as gods like to them. It's like, oh my gosh. It's like – it's Viola, it's Denzel, it's, it's Natalie, you know, it's, um, it's Meryl. Like they, they put them on platforms in a very sort of actorly way. They treated this like a rock concert. And when the film was over, they were like standing ovation and they were really into it. And it was like, it was, the room was filled with this like energy. And so all the reviews that came from that screening were sort of positive, like more positive than like, you would expect. Right, right. I, however, have spent way too many years sitting in audiences like this at the Sundance Film Festival and at Comic-Con. So to me, I was like, what is going on? Like, I, I knew it, but I was like, come on, guys. So the two negative reviews, though, were from just regular screenings in New York. So as more screenings come on and, and more – and by the way, it's, it's a fine film, but it's a filmed play. And that's really important for people to understand. It is not – it's not very cinematic. It is um, – if you've seen movies like Carnage or you've seen movies like August Osage County. By the way, August Osage Sandy, go back and look at the, the first breaks for that first screening. People thought it was amazing for those people who were there. It was a huge SAG screening. 
It's a trick. It's a trick the studios know how to like create wow, good work. If the movie's good enough. <laughs> it's very strategic. It's like politics. Let me tell you. Yeah, I, I can tell. <laughs> it, it, it really is. And um, so as the more reviews come out, and, and I sort of have heard through the grapevine, a lot of people are like, Viola's amazing. Denzel's fantastic. But, you know, it's a play. So it may be more actor awards than actual stuff for the movie. Yes. So I think, I think you're going to hear, you're going to see more mixed reviews. There will still be a lot of positive reviews. There will still be people who give it a lot of credit. And, but it's going to be a little more mixed. And I think what tends to happen is the Academy thinks their own way. And unless the actors love it so much because there's different branches in the Academy, unless the actors push it through with a nod, which by the way is possible, um, the director's branch, the writer's branch will not see it as a movie. They'll, they'll see it like as a really, I mean, they won't see it as cinema. And, and as, as much as people want to knock the Academy, these are people who take their work very seriously. And they take being members of the Academy as a privilege for the most part. And they, they want to make sure they do the right thing. So I, I think it could get nominated, but it wouldn't surprise me if it didn't. Okay. But you think she will take it over Natalie Portman and Emma Stone? Well, Viola will be in supporting actress. Oh, it's supporting. So sorry, yeah, she's course. in supporting. So it's between her and Michelle Williams. But I do think uh, she's the best thing of the movie in Fences. And it is certainly one of her top three or four performances of her filmed career, whether it's television or, or film. And I, I do think she'll take it. But Best Actress seems very uh, good competition this year, right? It is. It is very interesting competition. I, I still think Natalie Portman's going to win for Jackie. Um, Jackie is slightly polarizing to many people. I still think Jackie's going to get a Best Picture nod because it's incredible cinema. And I think the writers and directors branch will push it through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think below the line. Uh, below the line, by the way, in case anyone's listening and, 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 and would know, includes the, the costume guilds, the production design guilds, the cinematography guilds. They're all members, too, and they don't always tend to vote the way, you know, the actors vote. Right, right. Um, so it's very political. It's like winning different states or different, you know, uh, parts of a country. Like you, you want to get all these different people behind you. Right. Um, uh, so the... And, and, and by the way, we're talking about an organization, I don't think people realize, it's almost 6,000 members now. So it is a big consent. Big. You, you really have to like, you can pick and choose where you're going to try to get votes because to mathematically they figured it out. If you get around 400 first place votes, you should get a Best Picture nod. So each, mo- each campaign is hunting for 400 first place votes. And then enough second place votes and third place votes to sort of get them over the top. It's more difficult than a, the electoral college. <laughs> oh well, I don't know anymore. <laughs> After looking at the electoral college, I don't. I I, uh, I don't know. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> but um, one, one thing I was um, concerning campaigning and, and the politics of it. I heard someone say the other day. I, now I, I lost who it was. That that when when the actors are out campaigning now and winning awards that for example Casey Affleck he wasn't exuberant enough when he accepted his award um at one of the critics award and that they oh, really the Gotham awards it could, yeah. yeah and and that they really have to sort of step up their game because the the academy also wants to know what an amazing speech they would be giving at the Oscars is this true what's more of a concern is your golden globes and sag speech 
and because those are on big on television and it's not about whether you're enthused enough for it. It's whether you do something stupid and you know, the most famous, um, example of this, uh, is Jim Carrey's speech when he won for the Truman show on the golden globes. He sort of mocked the Academy. Ooh, I don't remember this. What, what did he do? Uh, I can't remember. You can find it on YouTube. But he basically – he was trying to be funny and he just went a little too far. And and the nom- – and, and by the way, you have to take it in context that it it wasn't the reason why he didn't get a nomination for The Truman Show. But it may have been the fifth reason why – like the fifth – It you didn't know, help. It didn't help. And the winner is Jim Carrey. going to be so hard to talk out of my ass after this. Uh, but I'll manage. I'll manage. Oh, what a shocker. I mean, if you look back at some of my earlier dramatic work in uh, films like Earth Girls Are Easy and Once Bitten, you might have seen this coming, but But I really wasn't expecting it, and uh, boy, you know what this means, don't you? I'm a shoe-in for the Blockbuster Award. That's right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) People tend to make generalizations about why people don't win things when it just isn't always true. Like, so for example, people will say that Eddie Murphy, who had won every award for Dreamgirls leading up to, to the Oscars for Best Supporting Actor, and then he lost... That he lost because people thought he was. Can I swear on here? I don't even know Absolutely. if I can. Absolutely, this is oh. sweet. <laughs> uh, that people thought he was an asshole. And you know what? That's partially true, but that's really not why he lost. He lost because Alan Arkin was in Little Miss Sunshine, and that movie the Academy loved. And when many of the voters, that was the place where they could reward the movie. And that's sort of what happens. And people will always say, oh, Sylvester Stallone didn't win last year because, um, you know, he's he has a bad reputation with many in the industry. No, you know why Sylvester Stallone didn't win? It's because a lot of Academy members didn't watch Creed. They didn't watch the movie. Enough of them in the actor's branch watched for him to get a nod. But when it came time for the actual people to vote, they hadn't they didn't have Creed at the top of their their um, their piles. It's all, you know, there's, there's something that's really interesting that, that um, when you always look back every year when there's been an upset, it's, it's, uh, and it's, not, it's very different from real politics. You win an Oscar in phase one. So there's two phases of the Oscar campaigns. So this is getting very inside. Phase one where you get the nomination and phase two where the nominations are announced and then it's sort of like this, dear God, what is this going to be over <laughs> slog to like, get to the Oscars and just have people vote. And you can't, it's hard to win. It's hard to make a comeback in phase two. It really is. So you, you have to win. You have to do all the campaigning. You have to like get your core support in phase. You need to spend money if you're going to spend in phase one and you can't do it in phase two. Okay. So after that, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) No. And that's exactly what happens sometimes. 
So anyway, I don't know how I got on this horrible tangent, but um, <laughs> no, it was because we were talking about Casey, how how they have to so be in campaign it, season. But. It, so Casey, so in theory, Casey needs to be trying to win now. Mm-hmm. But but doing a bad speech or the Gotham Awards won't matter. Movies like Arrival and Sully, for example, which are sort of bigger than the ones we were talking. How how are they doing now? Do you see them come getting into the race at all? Well, Sully, I think, is a Best Picture nominee. Um, there's always a couple of nominees that are released earlier in the season that resonate with voters that they'll remember that they saw in theaters. One of those is Sully. Sully's a big hit and they love Eastwood. And um, it's very much if there's still an old school slot, like if there's a slot for like an old school Oscar nominee, Sully is sort of that. And but it's funny because old school now is only like movies that would have been nominated 15 years ago, not 20 or 30 years ago. The Academy is very progressive now. People still give them a lot of shit, but the films they pick are, I mean, they pick movies like her and like grand Budapest hotel for best picture. Now it's like, they, they're not as, as, as you can't dismiss the taste of the Academy as much as like you used to. There's, there's no, there's very few of beautiful minds getting nominated. So if you really look at it, like any people who give crap to the Academy, I'll be like, you're, you know, you're not really paying attention, especially like Moonlight's going to get nominated. It right. would have been unheard, it would have been unheard of for Moonlight to get nominated ten years ago, let alone like you know before two thousand. So anyway, Sully is 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 mo- most likely in. It's it's very much like last year, Bridge of Spies. Mm-hmm. It's sort of that slot. It'll like sort of get into that. Um, and then Arrival's an interesting case. The problem with Arrival is it is a hit. It's critically acclaimed for the most part, by the way. It's not. It's not going to be on a lot of critics' top ten lists. Um, but the problem with Arrival is it's confusing. And one of the the great barometers to judge Academy members is to go to the Telluride Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And every Best Picture winner for the last, geez, seven years has screened at Telluride. And it's also been a place where. You, where if you go to Telluride, you learn quickly that movies that you thought would be Academy players don't play well with that audience. That audience tends to be – so Telluride, for, for your listeners who don't know, it's a film festival that takes place between Venice and Toronto. It's basically – you absurd Toronto as the Oscar-making festival, and it, it takes place in Telluride, Colorado. It's very small, and it's expensive. You have to pay a minimum of $850 to get a pass. Even the press have to pay to like go and see the movies, but it tends to be very rich, sort of upper way, you know, industry people, uh, and a lot of Academy members go um, because it's a very easy way to see movies. There's no red carpet. It's this beautiful little town, and it's people who love film. Right. It's 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 not. There's none of the 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 riff. Not the riffraff. That's the wrong word. But there's none of like the. The um the things that sort of get in the way like the, there's not there's no huge parties there's no gifting suites it's none of that stuff right and um a good example is I remember seeing Inside Lewin Davis at Cannes and thinking oh this is such an Academy movie I don't think it's going to win Best Picture but it is it's going to get nominations and whatever and by the way not only that it's a perfect Telluride movie mm-hmm. and CBS Films brought it there and they even had like some of the musicians play like a little concert. It was like very, it, it all worked, but they hated it. Like you would talk to people walking through the village and they just did not like it. And, and that's, that's an example. And when you talk to people about arrival, 
I tell you, right, people liked it, but they kept saying, I'm confused. Mm. So, trust, listen, there's 22-year-olds who see Arrival and they want to buy the poster and it's like they're film students and they, it's like going to be their, one of their top 10 favorite films, but that doesn't mean it plays to the Academy. Right. And, and I think, I think Paramount knows that. So we'll see. I mean, it has a shot. Uh, Amy has a shot in a very competitive best actress race to get in, but it's, it's more probably going to be a cinematography nominee, maybe original score, special effects. And Denis Villeneuve maybe has a shot in best director. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Last year was a lot of sort of big legendary directors. This year, Scorsese is, is back. Do you think that Silence will have a shot? And, and what are you hearing about the movie? Or have you seen it? I've seen it. Uh, Scorsese has a shot to get a nomination. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Um, the movie is gorgeous. It's beautifully made. The cinematography, the production design, the costumes are immaculate. Um, Andrew Garfield is very good. Um, it, it's an interesting film. I, I would say the first 30 minutes, you're sort of in, very intrigued and transfixed to what's going on. But there's not a lot of emotion at the end, uh, at least for me, watching the picture. And, and I've heard that from some other people, too. I think if you are very Catholic or very devoutly religious – the movie may speak to you, um, but if you are not, or if you're, you you it it it, it may not. Um, I I don't think it's going to get a best picture nod. So it's not a sure thing. No, and I, by the way, it is going to be a bomb of epic proportions. Oh, you like, think so? It is not. It is not commercial whatsoever. Even if they have like ten Oscar nods, like no one's going to see it. There's no way the movie's making more than like ten million in the U.S. Like no way. And it's also it's like also two and a half hours. It just doesn't play. Right. Like even something like Tree of Life as an art house movie like played to audiences. Like they were transfixed and they was beautiful and it was moving and and this is not that. So, uh, but he has a shot for not possibly. But I do think it will be a lot of it will be. Um, I'm trying to think. Will it be all first timers. Yeah, that's a very interesting. It may be all first timers this year. No, oh, that's pretty amazing. That's progressive for you. <laughs> yeah, I will say this is going to be a very in theory. A lot can change. The Academy can surprise us. There will be a lot of new players in a lot of new categories, including even categories like cinematography and score, which is really awesome, to right. be honest. It's, it it's nice that it's not the same old, same old, same old. I agree. Well, this is going to be very exciting. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Elwood, for taking your time. Maybe I can call you back and see how we did <laughs> come after the nominations have been announced. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for letting me ramble. It was fun talking about it. Thank you so much to Gregory Elwood. You can follow his Oscar coverage on theplaylist.net and at awardscampaign.com. Now, meet 25-year-old Josephine Asplund of Polish and Swedish descent. Her first big acting role was opposite Daniel Craig in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. She's also starred in the Swedish film The Circle and has now joined the fourth season of Vikings as the free-spirited Astrid, who interestingly creator Michael Hurst says is modeled after the Beatles photographer Astrid Kircher. Josephine Asplund, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. <laughs> so we are in a new season of the series. Women are seriously taking center stage. Can you bring us a little bit up to speed and who is your character? So my character, she comes from nowhere, really. She pops up um, in the beginning of season 4B. And uh, she grew up in Hedeby together with um, everyone else over there. And she's very fascinated by both Ragnar and Lagertha. 
and she is in love with Lagesta. And they meet somehow, we don't know how, and become a couple. And Lagesta uh, trains Astrid to become a shield maiden. And um, they are together, and they're trying to protect each other, especially Astrid wants to protect Lagesta from everything. But she's also fascinated by the sons of Ragnar. So Ivor and Kritzerk and Sigurd and Ube, uh, they fascinate her as well. So she has a few meetings with them, and um, she wants to know what they are all about. And um, yeah, she's quite a modern figure. She's not like anyone else. I want you to be ready. I am ready. You won't be ready until you put some doubt to my mind. Why won't you tell me what we have to do? Because I'm not ready. I love Ragnar Lothbrok, and I am so jealous of you. Do you love him more than you love me? Of course not. After all, aren't you Lagatha? I was um, reading and I thought it was fascinating that the creator, Michael Hurst, he actually based her on quite a contemporary woman, Astrid Kirchner. Can you tell us about that? Exactly. So Astrid Kirchner, she used to hang out with the Beatles, actually. And uh, she was the one who did their famous cuts. That's how it said, their their haircuts. Yeah, she styled them and all the photos from that era. Exactly. And she took very early photos of them. And she she started to hang out with them, even though they were quite rough. Like as I understand it, in the in the beginning of the sixties, um, you know that they are from that rough areas, and they played all this new, challenging music. And this, she, she found this very cool and wanted to be part of that. And it's sort of, it's it's a little bit like Astrid on on Vikings and the Sons of Ragnar. It's same reference from Michael Hurst. Um, but she was very artistic and, you know, she took all these photos and, and she starred them, the Beatles. Yeah, and your Astrid also is very unafraid and, and goes right in there and, and feels very contemporary. I, I like that. that yeah, me too. Idea. I love this character. <laughs> um, do you know how sort of historically accurate the series is? I mean, is there is there any truth to, to women um, getting stronger in the, in the community? Um, yeah, I mean, that's actually... Um, the Vikings are quite different from other cultures during this time. Um, you're allowed to divorce your husband. You're allowed to own as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, women also follow their husbands to fight. So this definitely becomes stronger in season 4B. Um, and I would say continues to be strong in season 5 as well. And this is something that is very, I think, very special compared to other cultures. And for example, the Saxons did not have that. Right, right. So, um, yeah. And what about a relationship between two women is here? That is, yeah. We, I mean, I guess we can't, we don't know uh, what happened during this time. I think that both men and men have sex and that women and women have sex. It didn't really matter especially when the men went out raiding uh, and they spent time on boats for months. 
Um, but that's just my opinion. To be honest with you, I have no idea. I don't know what, what it says historically either. I also read that Vikings die when their their median age was like 29. So you would already be the wise old lady at like 25 <laughs> or whatever you are. <laughs> exactly. No, my character is about yeah, 24, 25. Um, that's very true. And I guess Ragnar and like I said, would be dead by now. But exactly. you know. We can't do that. <laughs> and, and tell me a little bit about filming. Where where is the location, and and what is a day like for you? So we are filming in a studio outside of Dublin, like forty five minutes outside of Dublin in Ireland, uh, in an area called Wicklow Mountain. And mainly, if I have a full working day, I get picked up around four thirty or five in the morning, and. Um, you know, then we sit in makeup and hair for maybe one to two hours and put on the costume. We go through the scenes. And then there's a lot of waiting um, in between takes. If we're on location, um, that means if we're actually outside and in the mountains, it can be very cold. We sit in tents and wait. Um, or we have, you know, all these fighting scenes and we get to move around and tumble around in the mud or on the grass. <laughs> mm-hmm. But mainly we're, we're in the studio as well. Like when we have all the interior scenes, we're, we're in the studio that is uh, in Wicklow as well, which is a huge studio with like, I think, five different scenes or stages um, that are massive with, um, you know, everything from clothes and jewelry and food and everything is Viking style, of course. So it's, also, it's like a museum in a way. Um, I've been living in Dublin, so I have my apartment there. But I go between Stockholm and Dublin uh, quite a lot. Um, it depends. Some, we, we do two, um, two episodes a month, and it depends on how many days I have on these two episodes, and also if they're spread out or not. But I've been living in Dublin the whole time, so yeah. There's something very interesting about you, Josefina. You've been in some very big Hollywood productions, but with Swedish origins, so to speak. For example, <laughs> Fincher's Millennium, and in this case, sort of Nordic origins with Vikings. When I talk to, to Swedes and Europeans, it tends to be like, oh, what is Hollywood like? But I'd like to know, as a Swede coming on board these things, what do they ask you sort of about Sweden? Well, Since you must be the expert on many of these. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially when I did Millennium with Fincher, they called me. they called me a lot and asked me about... Everything from how, how do you pronounce the surname to what do you eat at Christmas? <laughs> um, what are your traditions? So I was their little, you know, Swedish messenger of, of, about Swedish culture. Uh, it's funny because I'm half Polish, so I didn't know exactly what you eat um, like, at I Christmas. Eat Swedish Christmas food. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do, but I also eat Polish Christmas food. So, <laughs> but I made sure I didn't say the wrong, the wrong things. Um, and I mean, now on Vikings, we have a lot of Scandinavians, so they haven't actually been asking me. We joke around that we are the real Vikings, you know, because <laughs> we have Aussies and, and, and um, Canadians. And for us, that's like, yeah, you're not really a real Viking. You know, we are, we are the real ones. Yeah. That's what we Scandinavian joke about. But, but they haven't been asking. You don't know what it's like to live in the dark from December no, forward. No, exactly. <laughs> Even in Stockholm. Exactly. Even in Stockholm, exactly. 
But uh, tell me a little bit about working with Fincher. What kind of advice or sort of what did what did you learn from from him and from that production? Oh wow! I mean, that was my first movie I did. I, I mean, I've been working as an extra in Sweden uh, when I was in school, and so I knew how a movie set worked. But this was a totally different vibe and a different thing. I mean, Fincher is very, very careful and very, um, but he goes into details. So even though we get, we have the scene on the fifth take, he's going to do 15 more takes anyways, because we might find something else. Or maybe if, you know, one of these five takes doesn't work, we have to have options. And of course, that's a question of money and time. He has that opportunity to do it that way. But he's also very precise. And that's something I really love about him, that he he cares about his work that much. So it's very precise, very um, dedicated and very careful. Um, but, but I mean, coming to a Hollywood production from Sweden as a 90-year-old, never been on the real, you know, never had a real role, a real part in the movie, that was huge. And I was like, I can get used to this, you know, but it was completely different from, from Swedish movies. Is it easy to go between the big sort of Hollywood productions and come back to do things here in Sweden? Because you do, do many big things here also. Yeah, um, I like it because it's different. Even though sometimes when you get thrown between two worlds, it's it's a bit weird, you know. Um, I remember when I shot Call Girl, for example, I was working at a, an amusement park, uh, flipping burgers. I did that in between, you know, being on set and, and shooting. And I like that because it's, it's the contrast and it gives you sort of perspective. Yeah. So this, this was actually after you'd worked with Fincher, you were flipping yeah. burgers. And, then, yeah, like, <laughs> and I did it for fun, you know, and also I needed a summer job. You never know in the, in the movie industry. Um, and I was young and, and I, I thought it was fun, but, um, it is different, but I like that, and it gives you it gives you perspective and and sort of a little feeling about reality because you live in a bubble. I mean, being on Vikings, being in Dublin, it is it's like living in a bubble. Mm-hmm. It's a great and a fantastic bubble with great people to work with, but sometimes I think it's good to to um, come out of that bubble and you know see what's what else is there. Because you actually studied to be a social worker, right? Um, and, yeah. And this was after you'd gone to acting in theater schools. W- were you thinking of not pursuing acting at some point? Um, yeah, I mean, my thoughts about acting has always been... Um, I never really thought about it as a job, to be honest with you. Like, even when I when I studied it, it was more because I thought it was so fun. And I wanted to learn more about more about it. And then, of course, there's a dream that's like, oh, maybe I can have this as a proper job, you know, full-time job. Um, But I'm also very interested in social work. um, And I wanted to get, like, an academic education as well. So it's more about two two interests. And also maybe you plan B, because it is so insecure. What do you think you would do then if you weren't um, acting or if you you decide not to? If I wasn't acting, I think I think I would always, you know, maybe do like be on a small theater and do some shows in the evenings, and then maybe daytime. This is my vision of it. And in the daytime, um, 
I would probably start some kind of organization that has to do with equality. Mm-hmm. And maybe could either be working maybe with uh, young men or um, young women when it comes to uh, the gender effects and, and equality questions and how to be aware of, of these issues. But uh, with the main focus at, uh, of young men and maybe young men um, that are criminal and how to um, prevent that from happening. Because you see that that's a group of people that really have to um, be educated on these issues, I guess. Yeah, and I also think that's a group that needs to be seen um, in today's society. And that's something that needs to start at a very young age, you know. Because we talk, when we talk about feminism and equality today, we, we focus a lot about women and how women should adapt to the society. And I think it's, it's has just as much with men to do as, as with women. And, um, I do think that we need to work on how we bring up our sons and our girls, of course. But I, I think that that's a group that needs to be more seen in a way. Does that make sense? I was hoping I are looking forward to seeing all your new big Hollywood roles, but now I'm looking forward to you doing this as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I hope you'll do that also. Um, Josephine, this was so interesting. Thank you so much and, and good luck with this very interesting role. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much to Josephine Asplund. You can catch Vikings on HBO Nordic here in Sweden and on the History Channel in the U.S. And thanks again to Gregory Elwood and all his info on the Oscars. You can check that out on theplaylist.net. And go to our site, popcultureconfidential.com, and follow us on Twitter, at podpopculture, for all info on coming shows all during this winter season. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, theme music by Karl Borg, and produced by René Wittestedt and myself. I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.